0: Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. From fiction to nonfiction, graphic novels, and more, we're here to help you find something great to read. We hope you enjoy
1: the show. Welcome to Now Playing Book Review. I am your co-host, Stuart. And this is Jacob. And we're here to talk about Twilight. Not the movies. We're doing that over as a silver-level donation on Fridays. But because they were a book sensation first, in fact, all four books were published before there ever was a movie, we wanted to start there. And so we've reached book three in the Twilight series, Eclipse, which, Jacob, I have to admit, if New Moon was about, like, new dude on the scene, I thought Eclipse was going to be about how Jacob might have eclipsed the popularity of Edward with Bella. But that's not the case.
2: Well, yeah, I'm trying to think of, you know, there's two kinds of eclipse, a lunar and a solar eclipse. So who's covering who here? Is Jacob covering Edward or vice versa?
1: Mm -hmm. I don't know. When I read this book, it mostly felt like Bella's feelings remained for the vampire. Like, yes, really late in the game, the needle moves a tad and she'll be like, Jacob, I need you, which is not the same thing as saying I love you. Or like, I want you more than a vampire, but she at least acknowledges there's an emotional attachment with Jacob. But at no point do I feel like this werewolf boy has a shot. My heart still bleeds for the guy.
2: Yeah, this one gets real weird for me, especially towards the end where we get, I guess it's not quite a threesome, but a really weird thing going on in a tent where all these feelings (laughs) feelings come out.
1: I wish it had been a threesome. is that kinky of me? But I really do wish that this was more erotica than it is. Like, I feel like it's very chaste. At the end of the day, like, Jacob kisses her and it's a big deal. Like, she punches him and breaks her hand and, like, he has to apologize and wait to be asked and all of that. It's very much, I guess, when you think about the literary traditions, social cues and customs and such, it is like that 19th century literature stuff, that Jane Austen, the Bronte sister stuff where, yeah, it just was a different era of social propriety. And instead of it being about class, it's about being species, werewolf, vampire, human. Interesting thing too, Jacob makes the pitch that he is human. At the end of the day, you go with him because you you are not having to become anything else. He's flesh and blood. He's warm. Uh, at least it has a warm body temperature at that. But I feel like in the end of the day, he has no pause to stand on here. Like he, he gets one snuggle in a tent, as you say, on a cold night. And her parting thought is that like she always wanted a dog, <laughs> but her mom was allergic. Like, ouch,
2: that just hurts. It's bizarre because that last book, New Moon. We, we talked about the whole issue where there was the girl Emily whose face got mauled because a guy wolfed out in front of her and lost control, and and yet this one it, Bella, when they she does kiss Jacob, she's like, I like it because it feels safe. I'm no, I'm not going to be hurt. But you just told us like in the last book, like this is still a danger too. I I don't know. I guess it's just a silly teenage girl still trying to decide between two guys, and that's never going to go away with these books.
1: Yeah, to break down the code, it's true of 19th century literature. It's true of this. It's all about the fears of sex, right? Like, I'm afraid of getting intimate. There's dangers associated with it. So we have to code that in language. And it's the fact that they're vampires and werewolves that make these people threatening. But truly, it's the fact of having a personal relationship or a carnal relationship that's the threat.
2: Yeah, but what's weird is that, like... Bella doesn't seem to care about that threat. There's going to be a whole discussion about having sex with Edward and like marriage and like she wants to have sex with them before she's turned to a vamp because like she's turned on by that danger or something like Mm -hmm. there's some real weird subtext going on.
1: Yeah, she is definitely exploring her sexuality here in what is the biggest book yet. I just want to put it out there that this one is 629 pages in my edition and doesn't need to be. I I also want to just put it out there. Who killed the editor? Because this feels like it's as big as almost any Harry Potter book that I read. And not much really happens for the first 500 pages.
2: It's funny you say that, Stuart, because I have not rewatched this movie yet. I've seen it once years ago, but I remember it being my least favorite movie. It's what I would call the flashback movie. I didn't even remember what the conflict was in it. I just remember, we're going to get this vampire's backstory and this vampire's backstory. And yeah, that comes from the book. And yet, my favorite read so far, even though it's longer, I guess... Here's the thing, like, Stephanie Meyer, not a great writer. This one, though... Like, because she sets up elements of, like, a serial killer going on in Seattle, there's just enough. Like, someone goes through Bella's room, and there's enough mysteries going on throughout that it kind of hooked me and kept me going. But I agree, like, yeah, you could edit it all this down. I don't know if we need all these backstories. Like, does Rosalie become a a better character because you know her backstory now? I don't
1: know. I guess that's what we're here to discuss. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. This is a middle chapter. She knows where the ending is going to be. She already kind of wrote... Breaking Dawn in her head earlier. So this is, it's got that unfortunate position of being neither the beginning of the story nor the ending of the story. We're caught there in the middle and it's really a time for Meyer to dig into, yeah, supporting characters. Characters that maybe we didn't care about or weren't paying attention to and finding out their backstory. Before we do that, though, I just always have to point out the cover and how I never understand... (laughs) Why, like, I got the apple a little bit, but tell me why there's a ribbon, a uh, red ribbon breaking into two on the cover. I assume it speaks to fraying and, you know, like uh, snapping a breaking point. Things are going to reach a climax here, but it feels like the photographer didn't read the book and just said, I'm doing my own thing.
2: Yeah. According to Stephanie Meyer and the publisher, this is about Bella having to break that tie of friendship with Jacob to go with Edward to make that final decision and also represents her breaking that tie from humanity or wanting to break that tie. That's why you got this ribbon that's being torn.
1: Very abstract. But I mean, I (laughs) guess it's, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing to go. Now they can put the posters for the movies you know this was before there were actors attached to the roles what could you sell this as again I thought this was going to be the Jacob story and the backstory we get is really for his whole tribe that he ends up bringing Bella to one of their council meetings and we get like 10 pages of lore that I had to reread twice just to like soak it up but here's <laughs> here's here it is in a nutshell i think is that he comes from a magical people the queluts i guess that's how you might say it queluts they were magic before they were werewolves they could make wind that was screaming they could talk to animals and it really came down to this battle between the spirit chief And one of his disciples who was like, let's use magic to conquer other people. That other guy, the betrayer, was called Utalpa. When the spirit chief was outside his body doing what spirit people do, wandering around the clouds, he jumped into that body and killed his body and basically left the chief stranded. And the only way back to his people was embodying a wolf. That was where it started. The chief basically said, I have to take the form of something and best to be a wolf so I can and come back and restore order to my tribe and it just became a thing
2: and this is a real tribe like in real life this is a real tribe of Native oh. Americans one of the things Stephanie Meyer did when she came up with okay I need a really cloudy place she actually looked at maps to try to do decide like where to set twilight when she's like fully writing it and she came upon forks and this tribe was really there and she looked into you know she's like oh they have these shape-shifting stories i don't know if this is like an exact translation of you know their shape-shifting myths but she has been accused of cultural appropriation for all this like you know you, you get this white mormon lady and mormons already have a kind of interesting history with Native Americans, if you look into that, like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, hey, we have the, our own Bible, and it's all about you guys and where you came from, mm-hmm. and and so, yeah, I know there's some criticism there, but yeah, a lot of this stuff is based on real lore, I, I'm sure she has made some stuff up, like the third wife and that, but yeah, you, you're going to get the backstory of where, because these aren't really werewolves, these aren't howl at the full moon, this is, yeah, they're shapeshifters more, and I guess this tribe, they shapeshift into wolves when you're chosen to... Be a shapeshifter. (laughs) Because it's not everyone.
1: And thanks for pointing that out. Because I did think that she just made all of this up. I didn't even know Forks was a real place. I thought it was like a fork in the road. Like a metaphor (laughs) place. But yeah, apparently you can go to the actual Forks, Washington. And there are like twilight tourist traps and stuff. I I found out all about this uh, this week. So yeah, props to her that she did research. And maybe some of this does reflect actual culture. I don't know about this imprinting thing though. What, What we learn about... Most importantly, when it comes to Jacob and Bella, I don't know if she says it outright, but basically Jacob, it's love at first sight for him because in his culture, they imprint. They just all of a sudden realize in a moment, in a flash, you're the one for me. And that's how Sam ended up you know, being with Emily and scarring up her face.
2: Yeah, even though he loved, like, another girl, he had to go with who you imprint on, like, look, I'm trying to think back on my, like, sixth grade science class about imprinting with, like, baby ducks, and they gotta see their mom first, or else they'll mm-hmm. think you're the mother, and I don't know why you introduced this, I don't think it ever really pays off, but I, I guess it's setting up an idea that Jacob will suddenly be able to get over Bella, because he's gonna imprint at some point, That what I'm thinking as I'm reading through oh. this, like, what girl is he gonna fine then. It just seems like an easy out for this love triangle.
1: Oh, I hadn't, I had seen it the other way. I thought he had already imprinted on Bella and there's just nothing he can do but be, because why else be in love with Bella? I'm just going to make that argument. She's (laughs) really not that interesting. Not pretty, not interesting, uh, (laughs) like doesn't even go to his school, like- why is he pining for this so hard? I, I thought it had to be imprinting. But, you know, this stuff is... It got a little weird. I got to say, when we find out about his geeky friend Quill, <laughs> who just came into it, like the last couple books, he was waiting for puberty to hit and to join this wolf tribe. And now that he has... He's imprinted on a two-year-old. Yeah. Ooh wee! I don't know why you go there with that. That just brings up all kind of cultural taboos, right? Like he loves a baby and is waiting for the baby to grow up and marry him. Yeah,
2: they they try to make they try to like make it. Oh no, it's not a sexual thing. It will turn into mm-hmm. one when this baby right. is old enough. But it will be
1: age appropriate when yeah. it gets there. But they, it's, again, it's the casting of fate and destiny. Yeah, they've sort of put this weird. Pause on sexual predator, like it just kind of gross that I just, an adult lusting for a baby is never cool.
2: And again, they try to go out of their way to not make it sound lustful, but like you are in love with that person. You are willing to devote your entire life to that person. Like it plays a little weird. And I don't know, maybe we'll find out Jacob did in print. It's never called out in this one. Jacob gets real weird now. Like I was team Jacob in the last one. Now he's kind of like this weird if you've heard of the phrase, nice guy, like, I'm a nice guy. Why don't you like me? I'm a nice guy. Like, I feel like he's doing that throughout this. And he's like, look, I'm just going to pursue you. I don't care if you love Edward. Edward loves you. I'm just going to pursue you this whole time, no matter what.
1: Yeah, it, I agree. I'm less Team Jacob than I was last time. I'm not sure what team I'm on in this <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> point. But before we leave the Native Americans, the other thing that came up is we, we So we have this origin for the Wolves Coming into the tribe, we don't quite have a, an origin for the cold ones, but they do talk about the first time they saw vampires. And it, it's uh, twofer. I guess it was a man and woman couple. They kill the first one. The wolves tear it up and realize even after they've used their teeth to dismember the vampire, it's still moving around and alive and they have to burn it. So it establishes the idea that there are these cold things that can only be defeated by fire. And then his woman comes in there being all, you know, seductive and vampire woman-y. I guess this is going to be important because they spend a lot of time in the book underlying this. The chief tries to fight her, but he's old. And the only way that he's able to win is because his third wife kills herself, spills her blood in front of the vampire, and thus distracts her. Which makes me wonder, is this Bella's fate? Is Bella going to have to open up a vein in order to, I don't know, save Edward from some conflict?
2: Yeah, my reading is she's definitely going to have to open up a vein to to save the day, but she's not going to die. we got a whole other book to go after this one.
1: Yeah, and more beyond that. But yes, one more in the four-part saga, and then we're covering the other stuff, which sort of circles back and fills in gaps. But yeah, now we're starting to talk about vampire backstories, and you're right. Two of the Cullen kids that I've barely paid attention to. We still know nothing about Emmett, but we do get backgrounds for Rosalie and Jasper. And I'm curious to know if you end up liking either better for knowing more of their history.
2: Jasper... Yeah, he was the the main reason, I guess, they left in the last book because he couldn't control his hunger when Bella got that paper cut on her birthday. But I don't feel like that's a character I've ever really wondered about. But Rosalie, Mm -mm. like, I do feel like throughout this, like, she's always the one like, no, you shouldn't want to become a vampire. She's the one colon that's against all this besides Edward. So Rosalie, like, yeah, I did want to know what her deal was because her hatred for Bella or dislike, at least, like, has been a constant thing throughout the last two books.
1: Yeah, and I couldn't figure out whether it's I don't want this girl joining my family or I'm trying to warn a girl like me not to go down this path. She tells a cautionary tale, which I'm not exactly sure how relevant it is to Bella. I mean, there's
2: sexual assault in it, and yes. that seems like a deal with Bella <laughs> going down that alley in the first book.
1: But in a different way, yeah. yeah. So let's explore this. So Rosalie Hale was her human identity, and she came from this middle class family that was doing okay during the Great Depression. They were surviving as bankers, and they were social climbers. And they tried because she was pretty. They thought, oh, the owner of the bank has a son. We can hook him up. Except Royce King is no prince. The, the man that she's engaged to. I can't follow this. Like I get that people can be cruel and sadistic, but he agrees to marry her. And then a week before the wedding, he and a bunch of his friends from Atlanta decide to assault her in the street and leave her dead.
2: I mean, that's how it reads. And again, I don't read a lot of Victorian-era literature, Jane Eyre and, and Jane Austen, all that stuff. Like, it kind of felt like it was tapping into that with these ideas of class and this woman trying to move up. Like, those seem vaguely familiar from when I read Charles Diction. but
1: gang rape is never in those, I just want to say. And the idea that, why get engaged? Like, if this was all just a game to you, or you're a cruel, sadistic person, now you're going to have to pretend that you're sad that your fiancé is dead and all that. Like, why get serious about it? Like, I'd want to know his side of how this goes. Well,
2: and what's weird is, like, they call out her beauty. Like, she's so beautiful. And again, like, okay, a trophy wife. Then why do you sexually assault her and -hmm. leave her for dead? Like, that? it's so bizarre. Like, I get it. Rich Banker's son, he's going to have a beautiful wife and then probably cheat on her and ignore her. But, like, why go this route?
1: You, Yeah, you would do this to the street walker, perhaps. But if she's pretty and someone you're publicly identified with and engaged... To I don't know why at the last second, in a drunken bit of fun with your friends, you decide to murder her. That just, it seemed over the top. It's felt both too dark for this book and unmotivated. Like, I'm like, I don't get that. And I don't know how it's relevant other than the fact that... It sent Rosalie – she was saved. Carlisle came to her side. He couldn't save her life, but of course he turned her. And I remember from a previous book, the idea was that he was really thinking, you'll be perfect for Edward, who he had turned about 12 years before. Edward's not into it, but that was the thinking, is I'll bring you into the family so that you can partner up with my son – She instead goes on this murderous rampage. She goes back, puts on a wedding dress, and kills Royce King and all of his friends. That feels a lot to me like what's happening to Bella and Victoria. It made me wonder if we were supposed to be more sympathetic for the redheaded vampire who is hanging out in Seattle and waiting to come down and kill Bella.
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I never had any sympathy for Victoria because of Mm -hmm. the story. And again, just trying to understand Rosalie. Okay, she never wanted to be a vamp. I don't think any of these people really wanted to. They were all on their deathbed when Carlisle turned them. But she seems to hold a real grudge because of that. She wanted a baby. She wanted that family. So she really wants that human life. And, And so I guess that's why she is jealous and also dislikes Bella because... Bella has that life she wanted, but she wants to throw it away and become a vampire.
1: It's even a little bit dishier because she basically says, you're homely. Like, you're not even <laughs> good looking. I'm really pretty, and Edward never wanted me. And he's been around lots of pretty girls, and all of a sudden, you come in and wafting your smell, and he can't get enough. I get the resentment, but like that's what it really feels like. Like it's about, it's not about that. She got murdered or anything else. It's that this ugly girl thinks that she has more than what I have to offer. Yeah.
2: Edward turned her down and yeah, it feels almost like the Jacob, Bella, Edward triangle but with Rosalie here like I don't even like him but he turned me down for you so I dislike you
1: (laughs) yeah I didn't have any more sympathy for Rosalie after hearing this than I did before she seems like a problematic character that I wouldn't trust so I'm wondering how she'll develop in the end whether she'll die to help Edward and Bella come together or what or how she'll put aside all of these grudges I can't imagine
2: So what about Jasper? Like, were you dying to know more about him? Like, does this backstory open up his character at all? Like, that he was a Confederate in the Civil War, a general?
1: Wait, hold up. So (laughs) what I remember hearing, the only thing I remember hearing about him, he's the most recently turned. Which to me meant, oh, they did him in the last 20 years. He was a kid in the 60s, right? Yeah, no, Civil War (laughs) is the most recently turned. (laughs) Jasper Whitlock is a 17-year-old Confederate general who, yeah, again, he was recently turned by the Cullens. They found him in Philadelphia probably 20 years ago. But he, for a century, was caught up in wars. Not only the Civil War, but then we find out all of these vampire coven attacks
2: And this is the stuff I like. That's why I say like, oh, this is probably my favorite because you just get all this weird lore and backstory of vampires like working their way through Mexico, having their own civil war. Like, I don't know. I, I wish the books were more about that than what we're getting.
1: Yeah, agreed. It feels like an entirely different book. Civil War and all of that stuff. A historical fiction novel was not what I thought I was reading. What seems relevant to me is that he is now an expert in how vampires can use newborns. And that word made me think... Because Jacob, I think you've mentioned that somewhere in the movies it's coming, there's like a vampire baby. Yes. And like, <laughs> I just imagine like little babies, like with wings flying out of cribs and attacking people. I'm like, ooh, the newborns.
2: That's what I was thinking. Like every time I saw that word, even though they make it clear, newborn just means someone that's been newly turned into a vampire. But, and I guess that's why you do have Jasper stories because throughout this novel, they're trying to say how dangerous the, these newborns are because they can't control their thirst and they're wild, and they'll just kill everything. And and so that's, again, I guess we're supposed to sympathize with Jasper because he had to go through that struggle to be tamed.
1: You're never more dangerous or more strong than when you first get bit because that's the point where you have so much rage and it's just all new. It basically means that you could physically take an old vampire, and there are vampires that calculate on that. It was a Civil War strategy. There were vampires... I think I mentioned some dude named Benito who would go around turning people just so that they would then go and hurt his enemies and he could take down a coven. And that is what... Victoria is also doing. She's up in Seattle. We don't know this. Again, everything's from Bella's perspective. So
2: yeah, we just think there's a serial killer in Seattle. Yeah.
1: We hear about news reports about all this death in Seattle, but in fact, it's Victoria creating newborns with the idea that if she has 20 people that turned in the last 365 days, that's going to be something that can overpower a vampire family of seven. So Jasper will be fighting back because he knows these war strategies. It's weird. I'll put it that way. I wish I had, I don't know. Do I want more of his story or do I want it to be more integrated? I. It's it difficult to say. I think what I am struggling with for sure is the decision to make everything told from Bella's point of view. Yeah, Because she has to be the focal point. And because everyone loves her and all of that, it gets really exhausting having to always think about, well, what does Bella think? What does Bella do? What's Bella going to react to at this moment? Like, no, like, let's just spend some time with these other people and not worry about whether it relates to Bella or not.
2: Yeah, I so wish these were just written third person. I think they could be so much more interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. I really do. You know, I know she goes back and writes it from the Edward point of view, but I'm like, maybe that's a start, but I almost feel like you want to hear Lots of points of view, particularly people like Jasper, who, again, has been sort of this cypher in the background, who now I realize has an interesting life, but I don't get enough of it to really care.
2: What's so interesting, maybe we'll get it in Breaking Dawn, but Emmett, like, no one cares about Emmett. What is his backstory? Did we ever get it? I feel like Esme's, Carlisle, like everyone but Emmett, we have got their backstory now.
1: Yeah, I guess his backstory is that he is runner-up to Edward, that Rosalie settled. was like, well, if I can't have the one that everyone really wants, I'll go with this meathead. And so it's worth asking, you know, I've already asked, why does everyone love Bella? We'll just have to accept that she has a quality. You know, you imprint quickly, whether you're a werewolf or you smell it as a vampire, you just want it even though as a human, you may not recognize it. She drifts into the background as a human, but to the supernatural beast, she's irresistible. (laughs) But why does she love Edward so much? When it comes down to it, she remains pretty devoted to him. I know he's got supermodel looks, and I know that he is really into her. I know that he's gaslighted her into thinking that, you know, (laughs) she can't live without him, but is there something to like about Edward?
2: I honestly think, like, she is drawn to the power. She wants to be, like, mm. it's not about being with Edward at this point, I think. Like, she just wants to be a vampire. She is going so hard. Like, this whole deal with Victoria returning with the newborn, she's like, look, great. You can turn me into a vamp now. You need me as a vampire to help. Like, I don't even think it's about Edward at this point. Or maybe that's just my reading, because I don't see why she is so in love with Edward. I mean, that's a failing of Stephanie Meyer's writing here. So I I have to extrapolate and go, I don't know. She's always talking about that vampire power. So maybe that's what she really wants.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting thought. It's about more than Edward to begin with. But even if it were about Edward, and, you know, first love and crush and all of that, you're not always rational. You think that this is the person you want to be with forever. It gets to this idea that he has, in this story, now asked a concession. You know, we ended it with Bella saying, you got to turn me, the Volturi demand that I become a vampire, and I want to be with you forever. So he's like, sure, but we've got to get married first. I can't figure out whether that's a delaying tactic because Bella reacts to that very poorly. She's like, "I'm not I'm old enough to become a vampire, but I'm not old enough to get married yet."
2: <laughs> I mean, the fact that she has been accepted to Dartmouth, but she might end up going to school in Juneau, Alaska to be with this guy. I mean, come on. I guess if you're a immortal vampire, you got forever to learn, but Yeah, she's going to make some bad decisions for this guy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I agree. You know, depending on what she's going to study, maybe if she likes polar bears.
2: I don't know. Maybe Judah, Alaska has a great college. I don't know. I didn't go there. I don't want to offend anyone that may have.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. All we can say is that she's been given opportunities that she's ignoring, and she's committed to Edward in a way that just feels underdeveloped, frankly, particularly in light of the fact that there are every other guy as an option. But I guess Edward does sparkle. He is, (laughs) you know, again, never discount the physical allure that he might have.
2: But when you're freezing with hypothermia in the middle of the forest in winter because you're trying to lure out vampires, like, he's no good. He's cold. You got to give that 170 degree temperature Jacob in that tent to stay warm. Like, that is what I do find interesting is, like, they keep showing us reasons like, well... Edward's not always going to be able to help her in situations like maybe he's not the best, but she wants to be with him no matter what, even when it's Jacob snuggling with her in that sleeping bag.
1: Again, I almost feel bad for Jacob that he thinks that, like, his body heat is going to give him the edge here, (laughs) but, like, you're just a warm knight in a tent. That's all you are to her. But, yeah, so anything, let's just point out that all of this is building to a big battle that is happening in the background that, for the 629 pages, doesn't really start to get going until the last 100 pages. It's a lot of waiting.
2: Which I feel is like every Twilight book we've done. Like, nothing happens till that last 100 pages.
1: Agreed, but this one's longer. So the wait is even more difficult, I think. You know, she's both waiting for the end of the school year because the deal was that once I've graduated, you're going to turn me... And then we're also waiting for whatever Victoria is doing. And again, we don't really know. It comes through in newspaper articles and implications. But there's very little to understand what threat she's facing.
2: Until you get a big data dump at the end.
1: <laughs> right. And that just seems like not a great way to build a thriller. Which is, I guess, what I'm always hoping is an aspect of the story that is really not. Uh, I, ultimately, it's about the romantic choices of Bella and very little about her life being in danger.
2: And that's why I grasp onto the little pieces, like when she goes into her room and things have been moved and they're trying to figure out who went into her room. Was it the Volturi? Was it Victoria? Yeah, I agree. Like there is not enough of this stuff, but there's more than I've gotten before. So like that mystery, that all that stuff going on in the background is kind of pulling me through all this. We've heard all these arguments before, right? Like these books are long and they've all been about like, which way do I go? and here's another one.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is the one that make it most overt. Already I talked about how that, for me, this felt like virginity and like you're going to be the one to take me but once I've lose my virginity, you're not going to want me. So we play this game of take me, don't take me, take me, don't take me and now we have it made overt because it's about marriage. And, like, that's truly an argument about sex before marriage that happens, I would imagine, in Mormon culture. Yes. That's a discussion. So, yeah, she's really made the argument very front and center in this one. And her attachment to Edward, it becomes comical because Edward wants to go down to the, like, battlegrounds and fight all these vampires that are coming. And she's like, but I want to be with you. And he's like, well, then I'll stay in a tent with you. Like, he, <laughs> doesn't Stephanie Meyer know we'd rather be on the battlefield? Like, that's what's killing me about this book is is that we spend our time away from the things we want to see because Bella has to be indulged.
2: Yeah, this is a big buildup. The wolves are going to team up with the cold ones. They're, you know, sworn enemies to fight these newborns in Victoria. A massive battle goes down and we're going to see like one v- newborn show up because it's got to happen in this little camp with our main character. Mm-hmm. Even though there's a big old battle going on like a hundred feet away.
1: Yeah, and we'll get to that one newborn she meets, Bree Tanner, not to be confused with, I kept calling her Brianna Taylor and I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> no, But uh she will have her own story. We're going to talk about that novella in just a second. But to wrap up this one... So, yeah, there's a battle that happens pretty much out of our view. And it seems like it goes down easy because the werewolves and the vampires are working together. Jacob gets hurt. I'm not sure how bad. He heals quick. Yeah. So, I'm not that worried for him. And, you know, there is Jane and the Voltori that roll in here at the end. I'm not sure... They spent enough time debating whether Victoria was behind everything going on in Seattle for me to wonder if there wasn't a Volturi plot or some bigger vampire behind the redhead.
2: Yeah, and there is a lot of questioning, like when they kind of figure out what's going on. Like, why haven't the Volturi showed up to stop these newborns? That's usually their job. Are they in on this? Again, there are seeds of like really interesting plot points that I I wish were fleshed out more, but like, that's the stuff that's keeping me drawn into this book. But I, I, again, I wish there was a whole lot more of that, but interesting idea. Like is the Volturi is like, this a secret plot to get the colons after that last book.
1: I sense that there is, I'm not satisfied because, well, because we have another big book to go (laughs) and because Victoria is dead, that it's all said and done. Yeah. After
2: three books, we finally defeated all the bad guys from the first one. It took, it took, 1,500 pages to get there.
1: (laughs) Get you married and get you bit. That's all that's going to happen. Maybe that is a 700-page argument. I don't know. But before we cover Breaking Dawn, I think we should skip ahead to 2010. Three years after Stephanie Meyer wrote Eclipse, she came back to the newborn character of Brie Tanner.
2: The year the theatrical adaptation of this movie came out. Ah,
1: yes. Good point. Maybe as a way of hyping up that... If you read the preface of this novel, it's a short one, it's only 179 pages, but Stephanie Meyer basically says that sometimes you write characters that stay with you, that have a backstory that you want to return to. And she published a story to maybe explain who this child was, this 15-year-old runaway in Seattle who got turned and joined the Victoria Army.
2: Yeah, this novella, the short second life of Brie Tanner. Stephanie, like this novella, you can get experimental. It doesn't need to be first person, but she's going to do first person again. Like drives
1: me crazy. That did make me angry. The only thing I liked about it, I'll just go ahead and put there, besides the fact that it was shortened to the point, it kind of covered the same ground. I don't feel like I really learned much about who she was But it allowed you to understand the perspective of a vampire and how they thirst and how they do have to feel bad about killing people and what have you. This was a character that wasn't vegetarian, that wasn't going out into the woods and eating deer like the Cullens do. And so what is it going to be like for Bella when and if she decides to go vampire? I think that's why it was cited as important. Bella saw a version of herself As an undead, as a cold one, and maybe it gave her pause to think, maybe this is not a great idea.
2: It, what's weird for me is when we meet Bree, like, she's already a vampire. I get a short second life, so that's referring to her vampire life, but it's not about her getting turned or anything. She's already part of this newborn gang, and I don't know. Again, there's interesting things. There's a lot of politics about the leader in that. There there are some interesting things, like, they are told they can't go out in the sun, like, they are being deceived. It does feel like this weird cult that they're in. But I don't know if I have that much more insight into the vampire or the newborn life because of this novella
1: no it's short so you don't it doesn't overplay its hand but it does feel like uh fill in blanks that probably didn't need to be filled
2: i did laugh like early on there was this debate with the vampires like what superhero would be the best hunter would it be spider-man would it be hulk Again, this is coming out in 2010. This is when the Twilight is huge at Comic-Con. I do wonder like, if she started throwing the superhero stuff in there because, yeah, it was now a Comic-Con phenomenon.
1: Mm, good point, good point. There is sort of a love story happening here as well. It's sort of an Edward and Bella story, I guess. It's uh, She meets a vampire, Diego, who convinces her that they can disobey the people that are manipulating them, that they are going to be safe in the sun. They don't need to believe the vampire that they could have an independent life and they plan to run away to canada together but he is ultimately killed by victoria and so if she had only you know followed her heart maybe that's the message followed her heart and you know followed a path to canada she wouldn't be murdered as she is by the voltori at the end of eclipse and at the end of this novella
2: and it is heavily implied like we talked about with Eclipse. Are the Volturi involved with Victoria? It's she overhears like discussions with the Volturi, like it heavily implies maybe it's Jane. So deepening that conspiracy theory, I guess a little bit more. But again, most people have read Breaking Dawn by this point, if you're a fan, because this is coming out way after the fact. So I don't know how helpful
0: that is.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. I imagine that there are things that I didn't pick up on because I don't know what happens next, but I will. (laughs) We will be covering Breaking Dawn, but we're going to wait a week. We're not going to get to part one of the movies until two weeks from this Friday. So let's go ahead and pick up the book around that same time. And in the meantime, if you can find $10, please join us over on Friday at the Silver Level to experience the Twilight Saga Eclipse That movie that became such a big phenomenon and drove book sales. We're going to talk about what this book got turned into when you join us for those five movie shows. And so, Jacob, thanks for joining me. Bye.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more than 150 more book reviews, including many of the works of Stephen King, the Ian Fleming Bond books, the Planet of the Apes novels, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns, and many more. Enjoy movies? The Books and Nachos hosts have done more than 1,200 movie reviews, which you can also find at our website, NowPlayingPodcast.com. This episode of Now Playing Podcast Book Reviews is copyright 2022, Venganza Media Incorporated, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, redistributed, or modified without the express permission of Venganza Media Incorporated.